Hey, it's Brian. And hey, it's Murdoch. Welcome to Rocket Roll Bedtime Stories, everybody. We lost a whole bunch of people. It's like 2024 hit on the calendar. We were doing okay, and uh, we got into February, and they're dropping. We, we've lost legends over the last week, and I thought we'd take some time to to just RIP, you know, to just to just raise a glass and talk about some of the some of the great ones. Yeah, and and we don't want to, you know, make make light of any of this, but comes in threes, right? And and Brian and I were talking about this and he hit me with a text the other night. It was really funny that my daughter knew this apparently before both of us and I thought in the threes was Carl Weathers, uh, <laughs> who was Apollo Creed, and I realized we weren't we were talking about musicians, just not people in the pop lexicon. I think the three that we should talk about are Toby Keith, uh, Wayne Kramer from MC5, and Mojo Nixon. So where do you want to start? If you want to start in that order, you can start with that order. And man, I never thought I would ever have any knowledge about Toby Keith. And then, um, you, you know, you and I ended up in a crash course of <laughs> our careers <laughs> around country radio did, did you ever work with toby keith i worked with so many people from that era and i don't think i ever worked with directly with toby no i never worked with toby keith and i got the idea that he was a very nice guy so did you know much about i mean i knew about him and, and well he's came an from, but. interesting character in popular country music because he's sort of this bridge figure that sits in between the 90s country renaissance and then what came after. He would play bills with Alan Jackson, and he would play bills later with Keith Urban. And it was not all that strange, and there weren't very many people that were able to do that. Right, right. And then he had a crossover hit with Willie Nelson, which... Here for my horses. I mean, that's sort of an undeniable song, too. He had a whole couple of careers before he got into country music. He was late to the game and he actually, he went at the end of his twenties trying to make it in Nashville after a career doing, I mean, he worked on an oil rig, I think in Oklahoma, you know, he's from Oklahoma. He's Oklahoma. Yeah. Very, very blue collar. He's, he's always had a band or he's always played bars. He had a band called easy money that would play the bar circuit and play covers. And so he goes to Nashville and tries to make it and he makes himself a, a promise that he's going to get signed by the age of 30. And he doesn't do it. He he goes up and down Music Row. No one will take him. No one will take him seriously. It takes him until 32. And the famous story about how he finally gets a record deal is that he had been on a plane and probably, I've got to assume, hitting on a flight attendant, gives a recording to a flight attendant. The flight attendant later has a record executive on the plane in a different flight. And says, you should hear this. Oh, wow. And gives the tape that Toby gave her to the record exec. And he goes and sees him play in Nashville and decides he's worth taking a risk on. Wow. I had no idea that's how how his career unfolded that way. I mean, that's just amazing fate. And he he has a hit single out of the gate. Not the one that I really remember. Uh, I knew his. I I didn't really think about this until I, I, you know, when he passed, and I started looking at sort of the layout of his career. But I really knew his secondary sort of sort of shot back to fame at the end of the '90s. But very early, I mean, his debut single actually goes to number one on the Billboard Hot Country Songs. It's called "Should Have Been a Cowboy," and that that's a lot of people will still know that. Um. 
But it's it's funny because you can sort of tell by the publication when they wrote his uh, obituary if they were just Googling him or if they really knew him. <laughs> because some of them yeah. were like, just reference should have been a cowboy. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of the other ones mentioned things like, we already have like beer for my horses. And, um, you know, they, of course, you, you've got to talk about, when you're talking about him, you've got to talk about 9-11. Which is also another interesting thing yeah. about him as a character in pop culture that's different. Not only is he this bridge character in Styles of Country, he becomes sort of defined by a national tragedy, which is sort of a strange thing to have right. done in the middle of your career. You also hear that he was a dyed-in-the-wool, multi-generational Democrat. And yes. it, right. it feels yeah. super strange in our current times to hold those two things both as being true. And I think he's this interesting, he's maybe the last gasp of someone who was able to be, have a stance about something like the military and it not, it wasn't tied to his personal politics in the same way that now, if you came out heavily in support of the police force or the army or the military, you would be labeled very, specifically as being a Republican and being on the right and all those sorts of things. Right. And he like, he actually wasn't any of those things. He was just a very, he saw he he could separate at least to some extent how he saw the role of a soldier and how he saw politics. Well, and the, uh, the, you know, the other thing about him was he was a business guy. He was incredibly wealthy. Like at one point he gets named country music's $500 million man. I mean, we're talking incredible wealth. And so he just, he was like a lot of things that seemed conflicting given the, uh, you know, the persona, even if you don't like the music, if it's not for you, I get it. It was never for me, but I think he's a really interesting character in music and in business and in that intersection along with, music and politics in that intersection and then the two periods of country music and being in that intersection. So he just he was very much a guy who could who could sit in the middle and be comfortable. We lost someone else uh here in the last couple of days and in enough time that the Grammys was able to put him in the in memoriam. It was interesting to me because it was like really fresh. And that's Wayne Kramer from the MC5 about being political. There's no way to even talk about the MC5, which, by the way, Motor City 5, and it became MC5, without politics being part of the conversation. They were the only band that played at the 1968 Democratic Convention where the cops were beating the hell out of everybody. And they were heavily influenced by the White Panthers. That's John Sinclair. He ended up being the marijuana poster boy in Michigan when he got busted and, and full on the counterculture. And, and he is synonymous with the words, kick out the jams, motherfucker. (laughs) And what people don't know is that that wasn't even him. The lead singer of the MC five was Rob Tyner, but Wayne did sing on Ramblin' Rose, you know, in that falsetto, you know, it's like a Ramblin' Rose. And he was super duper influential. Clash wrote a song about him. I don't know if you know this about Wayne Kramer, man. The band fizzled. They never, you know, nothing really happened. And and Wayne basically became like, he 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 broke into houses and stuff. He admit he's written, he wrote about it. Like he broke into houses. He did five years in prison for oh my like God, really? dealing cocaine basically. 
Oh yeah, yeah. He was in he was in prison. Yeah. The thing at the Grammys was nice because it said Wayne Kramer, co-founder, guitarist, activist. Yeah. Um, because they they really were considered to be you can't you can't separate the politics from from the band and a lot of the writing like it's almost like Charles Bukowski a little bit like addiction and crime ended up being a big part of Wayne's life. Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine put on his Instagram page after Wayne died that like that is the birth of punk rock is the MC5. Oh, for sure. Um, for sure. And I mean, there's, you know, you know, it's interesting too, because it came like when you talk about the beginning of punk rock and what it actually comes from, the MC5 was messing around with surf music and R&B and the beginning of rock and roll, Chuck Berry, Dick Dale. But then they were also listening to free jazz. And I, it made me think like, should we spend time talking about Sun Ra for an entire episode at some point? Because I feel like Sun Ra had this huge outsized influence on a lot of what will later become heavy music, but it, it mostly an attitude, right? Because like musically, it doesn't sound like, like the same thing at all, but it allows people to sort yeah. of think differently. Two of the four original members of MC five have been dead for like 30 years. Yeah. And he's, and he's had incarnations of the band He's tried. He was in Was Not Was. Uh-huh. Do you even know that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So weird. Well, right? yeah, and he had Kim Dale from Soundgarden join a, a version of the band. Gilby Clark was in it at one point. Doug Pinnock from King X was yeah. in it at one point. Uh, Matt Cameron, Don Waz. They, you know, so he's done a whole bunch of other stuff, and they were supposed to do new music that he kept saying was going to come out this year. He's been sort of saying it was going to happen since 22 didn't happen last year said it would happen this year and now he's no longer with us so i i'm assuming we'll get something posthumously but but i don't know but yeah i mean pour one out for wayne kramer like what an amazing band and it's interesting to think about how music would be different if it wasn't for for wayne and fred and the guys in the mc5 it sounds like i'm really making this childish but like saying the word motherfucker in 1968 on a record, yeah, I mean, no one else deal. was saying deal. that. This is what Tom Morello said. I've got the entire quote. It says, Brother Wayne Kramer was the best man I've ever known. He possessed a one-of-a-kind mixture of deep wisdom and profound compassion, beautiful empathy, and tenacious conviction. His band, the MC5, basically invented punk rock music. He died at 75. He had pancreatic cancer. Uh, Cedar sinai that's where he passed away. Um and I can't believe that my, my daughter knew this last person that we lost before we we lost. Um, and that's Mojo Nixon, which I was not expecting that to come just out of left well, field. We just talked about Mojo Nixon on the show recently. Like, he just came up in conversation. Maybe it was a bonus episode a few weeks ago. And you told the story about how you met him and he signed a poster for you. Uh, it says Mark, you suck in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a. I was part of a, a another group text with some friends, and uh, when that news broke, the text that came across from Ken was, uh, "If you don't know Mojo Nixon, your store could use some fixing." Uh, yeah, and that's how I. That's how I discovered Mojo Nixon was because of Punk Rock Girl by the Dead Milkman, and that's I remember like see like. I heard that song, saw the Mojo Nixon record. 
Like that was the introduction to it. And it wasn't because I was like, oh, I heard the Elvis is everywhere song or Debbie Gibson is pregnant with my two headed love child. Like I didn't <laughs> hear the, I didn't hear his, his music, but how about the uh, controversial bring me the head of David Geffen? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a, yeah, he had a lot of that. Or, or tie my pecker to my leg. You know, lots of the whole body. Let's celebrate the whole body of work. Uh, Very interesting guy. And he, the thing is, is that for most people that may not even have been a fan of him, like Mojo Nixon had a a show on the Outlaw Country Channel on Sirius XM. And he did, he did terrestrial radio like you and I did. And he was in Cincinnati, Cincinnati and San Diego, both in different legs in the nineties. Yeah. And, and he always kept touring. Um, I read this thing because I had to keep it because I, I wanted to make sure I said it. Okay. He described himself as a mix of Foghorn Leghorn, Elvis, and Otis Campbell, which if you remember, that's the Mayberry Town drunk on the Andy Griffith show, <laughs> which, is, which is awesome. That's really um, funny. So, and um, Mojo, like, and, and if you didn't know, Mojo Nixon he he passed away on a cruise so we got to uh, talk about this that, because this is a little yeah. bit out of order out of sync but there is an upcoming yeah. episode of the show where we are going to talk about performers dying on stage or dying yes. almost on stage and it's bizarre that this happened when i saw this and it came across and we had already been working on that episode i, I was like this is crazy that yeah he's on, he's on this cruise and i mean here's the interesting thing about mojo he's 66 years old he is the if you have seen the poster for that cruise, he is the very last name on that lineup. He's at the very but, bottom of the poster. It, that's true. It is the Outlaw Country Cruise, but he is the co-host of that cruise. It is a annual cruise. Um, but yeah, so this is what his family said, which this is the most rock and roll shit I've ever heard. And I, I wish that I hopefully if some when, whenever I die that my family can say something just kind of like ten percent this badass about me, which would not happen because <laughs> there's nothing badass about me to sound like this. So this is what his family wrote about him and his passing. Mojo Nixon, how you live is how you should die. Mojo Nixon was full tilt, wide open, rock hard, root hog, corner on two wheels and on fire. Passing after a blazing show, a raging night, closing the bar, taking no prisoners, plus a good breakfast with bandmates and friends. And then he passed away to sleep, which is a bummer bummer for him. And he was um, 57 to 24. How old was Mojo Nixon? He was uh, Um, 66. 66. Yeah, he was 66. So. And I mean, talk about three really interesting different people to pass away, you know, because it comes in threes. Those are three really interesting ones. You talked about that cruise the Mojo was on. Yeah. The headliner of that cruise is Blackberry Smoke. Yeah. Did did you, did we work together when Blackberry Smoke made us Blackberry Pancakes? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I couldn't remember yes. if you were if we were there together. Yep. That was a good day. Oh, yeah. That was a good day. Blackberry we, Smoke was playing. I was thinking about that club. I was thinking about that club in another context. They played at this tiny club that was under a bowling alley. And were you at that show? I think our buddy Dan was at with at that show with me maybe. I w- I didn't go to that show. So, 
if you've never been in that club before, and we saw some amazing shows in that club. I know we saw Hardcore Mavens, Norma Jean play that club together, I think. Um, but in the green room, I'm in the green room with Blackberry Smoke, and the bowling alley is above the club. And so in the green room, you could actually see a hole. There's a hole in the ceiling, and you can see the ball return. So like we'd be oh. back there hanging out and talking, and all of a sudden you're... And there's a ball above us just flying across the... <laughs> the ceiling and somebody's knocking 12 down above us it was strange but i missed that club that club was awesome i didn't know that you could see the the balls returning that's just freaking crazy there are two other bands that i recognize for sure on that cruise brian one was dash rip rock which i can't believe i drank enough alcohol in college to watch that stuff i'm not throwing shade at dash rip rock i just went to go listen to it and i was like huh what was I doing? And um, and 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 just I'm gonna say it out loud, man. Driving and crying. Oh um, yeah, driving and crying for sure. Yeah, I mean, great Atlanta band, one hit wonder ish. Um, but yeah, so just pour one out for those three people that uh, rock and rollers that had big long careers, um, some famous or some infamous, um, but always you know important to us because they're uh rock and roll people and they get we get to tell rock and roll bedtime stories about them yeah if you want to get involved in the show if you have something to say about any of these artists or any artists that you would love us to research and look into for you send us a note it's we are the story guys at gmail.com you can support the show at patreon patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories that's hugely helpful for us five or ten bucks a month goes a long way and you get tons of extra content uh, plus Instagram, that's free. It's uh, backslash rock and roll bedtime stories there. And we are the story guys.com is our, our home base on the internet. Uh, until next time, Murdoch, what should people keep doing? Keep telling stories. <laughs>